Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Bedfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's Off-Track Betting. Go to BedfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, this is Bob Kulik, and you're listening to the fabulous Baco here on Cobras and Fire. Welcome to the Cobras and Fire interview. My name is Baco, and today I sit down and have a chat with the legendary Bob Kulik. More of a legendary figure behind the scenes. He's uh, worked with a quite a quite a wide variety of artists, uh, ranging from SpongeBob SquarePants to Meatloaf to uh, Paul Stanley, and of course, you know he's done a little bit with Kiss as well. We touch on all that. We learn how to properly assemble a tribute album, and we cap it all off with a discussion about Bob's new solo album, the first ever in his lengthy, lengthy career. Uh, and it's called Skeletons in the Closet. It comes out September 15th. So be sure to keep an eye out for that. Anyway, let's get right into it. Here's Bob Kulik. Welcome to Cobras and Fire. My name is Baco, and I am here with uh, the legendary Bob Kulik. It's okay if I call you legendary, right? I guess I'll have to take it. Thank you very much, Baco. You bet. This is a big uh, big moment for me. I, I, I'm a pretty big KISS fan. Uh, and hopefully we can talk a little bit about that at some point. But uh, uh, I got one question I think everybody's dying to hear right out of the gate, and that is, what's the secret, Bob? How do you make a solo album in just under 50 years? <laughs> well, you take your time to start off with, <laughs> and then you search high and low for 23 artists who will allow you to use them on your record. And equal part uh, you know, in, uh, encouragement from my girlfriend yeah. Uh, who introduced me to my co-producer, Bobby Ferrari, who had a great studio where we were able to record these five new songs. And, uh, you know, the uh, fact that I was able to, with my former balance bandmate, come up with four really good new songs that I could get the talent that I wanted to on there. Right on. Um, and actually, I got a bunch of questions related to that. Uh, but you have a very wide-spanning career. If it's okay with you, I thought I would touch on your career a little bit, and then we'd end the whole thing with uh, getting into digging right into the record. Is that cool? Of course. All right. 
Um, well, I'm gonna just—I'm not gonna get into Kiss a whole lot because I think you've covered it quite a bit. Uh, but I do have a couple questions. Like when you tried out for Kiss in 1973, you know, I've—I've I've heard a bunch of stories, and maybe because you were there, you could clarify uh, something that might you know help some of the nerds that will tune into this. And they've been told that there's like um, as many as like 50 people over a couple days, and and just considering where they were at the time, that seems kind of high. Uh, does that seem right? I mean, I mean, how did you, you know, decide to like? I'm going to go down and check them out. I mean, was it really just an well, ad in the paper? They took an ad in the Village Voice. They may have, you know, done some, uh, you know, talking to musician friends and seeing who else was available. But as far as I knew, it was mainly the uh, the ad in the Village Voice, and I highly doubt that there were 50 people. I, I highly doubt that there were even 10 or 12. Okay, um, <laughs> I have no idea though. You'd have to ask them. But now that you mention it, when I'm on the cruise, which, you know, I don't know if you know, but my brother and I are going to be playing an hour set on the, on the Kiss, Kiss cruise. cruise coming up in November. So uh, I, I'll ask Gene and Paul, you know, so somebody asked me, if, you know, an interview. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, Baco, I'll be able to get your question. Gene said that they had 17 people okay. <laughs> or eight people or whatever it is. Right on. Uh, well, I'll be looking to hear. The, I'll be definitely checking for that answer to pop up on Blabbermouth or something like that. There you go. Um, well, when you were there, now Ace was right after you. Is that actually, that's totally accurate, correct? Correct. All right. Now, this next question is kind of an oddball, and it's probably been asked to you, but I promise you I've never actually heard it. It's just not that clever of a question. But when, at the time that you were trying out for him, did you have hair? I did. Yeah, like, a, like okay. So, like, what, when, when did you have gone bald? Were you, because uh, I have only seen you just the, the full skull look and all that, you know, the... Well, I think there, there are pictures, like, for instance, with Meatloaf. If you Google uh, the original Meatloaf band, you'll see my brother and I, and there I am with, uh, you know, my um, uh, hair and uh, some help hair. I, now, this was at the loft, right? That they, The famous loft or whatever? The, the tryout, I'm saying? Oh, for Kiss, you mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah they had, yeah, exactly. Yeah, not, I, I think it was 23rd Street, West Side, one of those places. No, I, I just get this. That we did, what, what was the scene like? Did, were you carrying like a half stack up a f- couple flights of steps with Peter or something? Or they... No, usually at these places, you know, they, they had gear. So I just brought a guitar. Oh, and, okay. So you, you know, and that was that. You know, just plugged in and played. All right. Well, um, I know... Uh, you, 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 how did you stay in touch with them kind of between then and like the 1978 when you kind of stepped in and played, uh, you know, quite a bit on the Alive 2 studio tracks? I became friends with Paul and Gene and we would go out and see bands. and So like almost immediately? You, you not necessarily immediately, but uh, within a reasonable amount of time, they started playing gigs and, mm-hmm. you know, like. Went down and check them out, and you know, went and hung out, and next thing you know, just hanging out with them as friends. Then, you know, next thing I know, they make it, and we're making it, and now I'm being asked to play. So it was just, you know, it was just one of those synchronistic things. It just was meant to be. I have no idea why, but this is what happened. When about would you have jumped in with Meatloaf? Then was that right after Bat Out of Hell or? Jumped in with them, you mean? No, with Meatloaf. So, with, I mean, because I know, I think Bad Out of Hell was mid-70s, right around that same time, if I recall. Bad Out of Hell was, like, 78. Okay, so that was probably just after, I assume that was after then the Alive 2 recordings he did? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I, during the Meatloaf thing, I was doing Paul's solo record, 79. 
All right. Oh, okay. Uh, well, your bio says you played on Unmasked. That, that was news to me. What, what what did you play on there? Didn't play on Unmasked. Co-wrote uh, okay. Naked City. Just a co-write then? Yes. Okay. Oh, I love Naked City. I guess I did see your name on there, so... Yeah. And then uh, you were uh, you were on the Killers tracks, all four of them, if I got that right. I believe so. Yeah, uh, you mentioned in the well, at least you're you're in the Eric Carr book. It, it sounds like maybe from the way you described it, Kiss was under a little bit of pressure for the first time in their life because things were not going going up anymore. Now it was kind of taken down, and they might have taken some of that out on their uh, I don't know critiquing of your playing at the time. Is is that fair? No, I, I, don't, I don't think that that was the, the reason. I think the reason that they became uh, more difficult to please, bearing in mind that throughout anything that I did with them, both Paul and Gene had to like what I did. That's that's a tall order to please two people. Usually it's sure. the producer is happy and everybody else gets used to it. In this case, they both had to be pleased. And I think what had happened by the time we'd gotten to the Kiss Killers stuff was that a young guitar player named Eddie Van Halen had come out and kind of changed the sonic landscape. All right, that's so they were trying to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. <laughs> and, and and hence, you know, can you whip out some of this wang bar stuff? You got some other licks that would be flashy like Eddie. Well, without referencing, you know, like, we need licks like Running With The Devil or something. There was nothing like that ever said. But it was it was obvious that, you know, uh, I had already played my, shall we say, bag of tricks on the first recordings. And so for the Kiss Killers and stuff like that, I had to, I had to try other tricks, of which you referenced one in All American Men. The little pulling of the string for the first leg. It was just a, your left hand played a little trill, and then your right hand came around and pulled up the string on the fretboard, and that's how that happened. The trick that I learned from the late great legendary guitar player Dick Wagner. Oh, right on! Um, nice little homage. And for anybody that is interested, there is a video that shows Bob explaining exactly that and showing you at the same time. And uh, well, like I said, it was a life changer for me. And at the age of forty-six, so, so after uh, well, Ace was basically out of the picture by the time you were doing those Killers tracks, right? No, not exactly. I mean, I know he was still technically in the band, but why, why not? Wasn't he involved in them? Because they were moving to make a change. Okay, that okay. That's kind of where I'm going. Uh, what was there any talk of? Uh, were you interested in the gig? Was there any talk of bringing you on board at that time? No, because I'd already advanced to the point where I couldn't be in the band. Oh, too so known. it was down to you know by having other things that I was doing that people knew me from, and it just it just seemed like they needed some fresh blood. That's when I suggested Bruce. So before uh, Creatures of the Night, you actually suggested Bruce. That was one of my questions coming up. I had, uh, yeah, I mean, I always mentioned to them, you know, there's my brother. And they checked out a bunch of people at that time as well. Yeah. And, you know, wound up with Vinnie Crisano, who was there being checked out while I was there. So you did you uh, get to meet Vinnie at all, get much of a read on him as a person? Not much of a read, but yeah, we were able to. We hung out for for a couple of afternoons or evenings in the studio. Uh, I don't go too far down the rabbit hole with Vinny, but uh, there's been a lot of discussion over the years, you know, of his relationship with Gene and Paul. I mean, did it seem that 
because Gene and Paul, of course, have their side, and frankly, they've been sued enough that they they almost deserve to be a little regarded uh, when it comes to talking about him. In your opinion, is what I'm asking, did it seem that he was this kind of a shady little character that they, they've they kind of penned in, in, in postscript about him, or was it just really tough to tell? I honestly don't know. Okay. It's, it's very, very difficult to, uh, to, to say not knowing. But uh, great guitar player and a talented songwriter. So, you know, and the guy had a look. So we certainly understand why they took him. After he joined the band, what happened, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Sure, okay. Um, uh, what about Eric Carr? Did you spend much time with him? Spent some time with him during those recordings. He would come and pick me up in L.A. when I was doing some recordings out there for Kiss Killers. We'd go get something to eat and go to the studio. So we did spend some time together. Great guy. Uh, super talented any fun um, or funny stories about Eric from that time, or, or in general, really? He, he was he was a fun-loving guy who had a great time. He fit perfectly into the band. And when my brother finally joined the band, he was a huge help acclimating my brother to the band. Oh, that's great. You're right, though, when you say he was a great fit. He really was. I actually he think- was a great fit. He's a little underrated uh, for that time. I thought he had a much bigger influence uh, th- th- for the, the what happened drum wise. You know, like look look basically from like '83 on, the way drummers were playing and setting up their their rigs and, and what they were doing on stage. You know, I know Eric kind of followed a pretty you know flamboyant drummer in Peter on stage, but he kind of you know introduced the the double bass as far as this giant kit and stuff. And I, I know that there's other examples, but. A lot of these kind of like rock drummers kind of followed it after him, and it doesn't seem like he gets a lot of notice for kind of uh, being there, you know. Other than you know, there's like a Neil Pert who had the giant kit, but I mean Neil Pert's a different world, so. Yeah, but I think you know, uh, for whatever reason, uh, you know, Kiss was separated from other bands because their yeah. stage center was so much a show, like a Broadway show or a Vegas show. Whereas most bands were just bands that just got up there and played. I mean, if you look you look at the videos of Led Zeppelin, even on a big stage, they didn't spread out. Oh, yeah. They did not spread out. And the drums were on the floor or on a small <laughs> riser. They knew that to be able to play well together, they needed to be huddled together. They needed to have the, be able to hear each other properly, organically, and to be able to be within like, looking somebody in the eyes, you know. Whereas Kiss was the exact opposite. There, people are flying through the air, and you know the, the heat coming off the stage from the flamethrowers is like World War Two. You know, it's just like you know, the, you know, the costumes and the stage sets. It's a whole other thing. So you know, drums going up in the air and all of what started to happen. You know, Eric had a lot to do with it, but because he was in Kiss, you know, it, it was a little different. You know, and you just touched on something. I'm probably not going to talk to somebody as as, as immersed in in a long career as as you. Um, do, ha, have advancements in like technology helped with that? You know, the, the PA's as, as far as like earpieces and stuff made it easier for bands to to be tight and sound good, but spread out a little bit. Um, 
Maybe, maybe live the the inner ears and all of that has helped people out as far as the singing goes and stuff like that. Probably so. Even like but the technology has hurt the recording side of things oh, by absolutely by allowing people who are not up to grade talent wise skate through <laughs> because their vocals can be fixed. And, Anybody you'd like to mention? You know, <laughs> no, there's nobody I'd like to mention. It's just part of what it is. No, no, you're, no the, I know what you're getting at. Yeah, you know, whereas uh, you know, live. It, 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 the technology has probably helped. Okay. Um, well, you, with with Bruce, he, they finally took your advice and bring him in. But the relationship between you and your brother—any fun and stories there, or just some sibling rival rivalry kind of stuff? You've kind of worked together on a couple things over the years, but uh, you, you guys grew up together. I mean, was he kind of chasing you for the most of his time, and then all of a sudden he's in Kiss? We um, we had very uh, similar careers and very different careers because I started earlier and wound up playing with Lou Reed and LaBelle and some of those people uh, that you know, he didn't have that part to his career. But once he joined KISS, obviously things changed. And, you know, I have a lot of respect for my brother. He's a super talent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we played together, it was magic. And people will get to see that again on the KISS cruise. <laughs> right on. So that yeah, people book your tickets now. They do sell fast. Yeah, and, and and on the record where he's you know he co-wrote a song, played bass on one song, played some solos with me on one song. So we're there. Okay. Well, one last thing, and then we'll get right into the record. Uh, how did you get involved in so many of these like tribute records for about a decade? But I, I, according to Wikipedia, you're at about eleven or twelve of them. Well, what happened was uh, my friend Billy Sherwood wound up joining. Yes. And he'd been doing uh, a bunch of these tributes for a production company. Uh, And so he suggested me to them. And they were impressed with the fact that because I had this huge touring career with Meatloaf and Paul Stanley, that most of the guys that we were looking to use were friends of mine or people that I'd met on the road. So I was able to easily get a lot of people that were uh, previously either not gettable or harder to get either because they knew me or because they knew that well the guy's a musician it'll it'll just be fun which it always was so it was it was part that uh it was a great gig to have some fun matching up different musicians together and that's and and introducing people to play together that had never even met forget about playing together and being on a record together and and uh, i think that was very rewarding to a lot of them and to me you know, we made some fun recordings, and uh, it led to other things. So it was a good thing. Yeah, I got a bunch of them in my CD rack. <laughs> They're a lot of fun to listen to. Thank well, you. Yeah, that was fun to do. Well, Bob Kulik is releasing his first solo album in his entire career, which is a 50-year at least, right? Uh, at least. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> Comes out September 15th on Vanity Music, and it's called Skeletons in the Closet. Well, you touched a little bit at the beginning that your your girlfriend was kind of a, at least uh, somewhat of a catalyst in getting this thing moving. But uh, if, if I'm getting it right, you've been working on this for a little while, right? Not 50 years necessarily, but... No, but the thought really didn't come up until she'd mentioned it and the other, play, the other pieces started falling into place. And that's really how it happened. You got a... Uh, I don't know. You know, I'm familiar with a lot of the names, but some of them I'm not. But Robin McCauley really stuck out to me. I really enjoyed the records he did with MSG. Uh, what 
I, but but for, I have no idea what he's been doing since. Is is he? A, a, I don't. I guess I never even thought he was kind of an American guy. Is he a local guy or just someone who? What's he been doing? Uh, he's still playing with Michael Schenker. They're out touring now. They, they was it a recent reunion? I didn't hear anything about that. Yes. Okay. Yes. They, have, right. they have Graham Bonnet, Gary Barden, and Robin McCall. and they're doing the big festival dates in Europe. Well, uh, I've I've listened to your record a bunch of times already, and he sounds amazing. Thank you. Um, yeah, so let's get into some of these songs. Rich Man. It, now, well, I, I'll get into it here in a second. There, there, you got kind of a neat um, story between how this record came together and how it became named Skeletons in a Closet. But there's some new tracks, and that's what we're going to... The album starts out with, right? With Rich Man as one of the newer ones? The five first songs are the new songs. Okay. Um, and then I noticed that you have two Quiet Riot bass players on there, too, with... Uh, uh, um, oh, God, Rudy Sarzo and Chuck Wright. Uh, was uh, Who's the guy now? Is, is, it, is it Chuck Wright? Yes, it is. Okay. Well, maybe I was, I was thinking for some reason. but uh, uh, So you got kind of a quiet right chorus there. But you also brought in your brother, Bruce. Now, he played bass on Paul's album, too. I don't know if you know this, but he's a lead guitar player of some note. Did you think it's kind of a slap in the face that you had him play bass? <laughs> Why does everybody well, want to play he, bass? He he's a great bass player, and we co-wrote the song, and uh, yeah. he kind of was like, "Let me play the bass on this." So I was like, "Okay." Right. But if you look, uh, Guitar Commandos, he's playing guitar with me. Absolutely, I was coming up to that because that's one of the. I mean, I can tell you what my favorite tracks on here are, but what what are yours? What do you think the the sta- outside of all of them? What are the ones that people should gravitate towards to kind of get a taste of uh, what Skeletons in the Closet is really about? Well, I, I think, obviously, London is a very unique song, but because it's a slow 6-8, you know, kind of um, dark song, I would say that probably the the other side is to check out Not Before You and Rich Man, which, mm. you know, are, are two of the new originals, obviously. And London um, feature, you mentioned the 6-8 timing, and that has Frankie Benali on drums, right? Frankie Benali and Dee Snyder. And, yeah, uh, we may have heard Bobby. of Dee Snyder as on lead yeah, vocal. Right. Yeah. So, um, that you know, I, I love them all, but I guess those three maybe are my favorites. Yeah, okay. Uh, I would, I mean, to me, the standout track is Player. Uh, I mean, I, it's just, that's the one that I keep coming back to. I mean, there's a lot of good songs on here, but that one really hit me. Um, Andrew Freeman, uh, I'm not familiar with him. What's he done? Andrew Freeman's currently the singer in Last in Line. Oh. And he sang with uh, George Lynch, and uh, he's also featured in the Rock Balls uh, here in Vegas. Yeah, uh, killer Great track, singer. Bob. Yeah, oh, yeah, Thank he, you. Great he, he nailed it on that one. Um, so then we get to Skeletons, in, or is it India that really starts off the... Now these are India old starts songs? off the retrospective. India starts the retrospective. Explain that. Well, th- after completing the five new songs, I was going to have an EP. And then when I started talking to some business people, they were just like, oh, it would be, really be better if you have a whole album. And then they started mentioning some of these old songs that really never you know, got heard properly. So, And, and what, why would that be? I mean, because I just don't know a whole lot about your background other than Skull. It's just because, you know, it just didn't connect. You know, the Murderer's Row record that a couple of the songs are from, Indian Skeletons, was never released here, only really came out. Uh, and to a limited extent in Europe and Japan and was gone before it showed up. Okay. So it just seemed like these are really, really 
fine performances, really, really finely crafted songs like the first five, in my opinion. And so these seem like the five to choose. And... (laughs) I, I I'm not. Qu- I had to look up because of the uh, because of you. I had to look up SpongeBob SquarePants. Uh, somehow um, the, there's a, a song from SpongeBob that ties into "Can't Stop the Rock." Was it just uh, written at the same time, or is this like <laughs> recorded? They were recorded at the same time. Oh, written and recorded at the same time with Dave Isley. So when we did the song that wound up being the song on SpongeBob's Band Geeks episode, the song called "Can't," um, excuse me, "Sweet Victory." Uh, this was the companion yes. song to that, Can't Stop the Rock. So never been released, ever. And it just seemed like, well, this is a really cool song that never saw the light of day. Let's stick this on there. I'm glad we did. Now, here in Minnesota, have you heard of a place called the Mall of America? Vaguely. Yeah, okay. It's this goddamn giant mall. Uh, but in the middle of it is a theme park, and it's the Nickelodeon theme park, and they got a bunch of SpongeBob crap. Maybe you could show up, and you could be like a... Like some kind of rock star, you know. It's like these all these kids coming up. You're the guy who wrote the SpongeBob song. Well, it, it, if if Sponge himself was standing there singing it, they might get it. Otherwise, <laughs> I'm not sure they get the connection. Well, you got to remember, a lot of us uh, Kiss fans are are kind of geeky diehards who will show up for something like that. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we and we travel well. Um, Good to know. Yeah, guitar commandos. Now that was on the Skull record, yes. Correct. Now, when when it was on, that did Bruce play on that as well? Yes. So, is this a re-recording or that recording? No, it's the original recording. Right, just on. remastered. Oh God, it was so fun to listen to that. Now, I never owned the Skull record, but I knew uh, that it existed. It was just not one that I ran into in over my all my years of, well, whatever buying records, Bob. Um, right, right. Uh, what the, I mean was it a major release? Is it was it a foreign release? Is it what, what was the reason that some idiot like me who actually like looks for this kind of stuff that why why, why haven't I come across a physical copy of it? Was never physically released in the United States. Oh, did you guys tour as a band at all, or was it? We did some shows. Okay, we did do a tour. Um, what what about for uh, Skeletons of the Closet? You going to do any shows for that? Well, we're going to start off with the Kiss Cruise, and we'll see where it goes from there, since Brent and Todd are going to be the band with my brother and I. Ooh. We'll see what happens. Yeah, that might be cool. Um, yeah. I would definitely, uh, I, well, again, Kiss nerd. I'm, I'm just going to come regardless. Uh, if you sh- if you get anywhere near me, if I can hit in a, get in my car and get there within a couple hours, I'll, I'll be there. All righty, you got it. All right. Uh, the last song in the album, Eyes of a Stranger, is another keeper for me. Um, what is that from? That's that was the leadoff track on Skull. Oh, okay, right on. Um, well, Bob, uh, I, I, I really like the record. Uh, it's, Thank you. It's not always easy to get kind of an ensemble vocal cast and have it sound kind of tight. And I think it had to be even more of a little challenge for you uh, with it, uh, you know, also being kind of a combination of old and new songs. And it really kind of comes through seamless from beginning to end. It worked out. Thank you very much for saying that. Yeah, all right. Well, um, I really do appreciate your time. It is a privilege. Um, And anything else you'd like to say to just kind of promote anything you got going on, things we need to know about, ways to check that out? Well, the record coming out September 15th and the cruise uh, starting on November 5th. I also produced four songs on the upcoming Motorhead CD called Undercover, which is the uh, cover songs that they did in their career, of which I produced four of those, including Whiplash, song that won the Grammy. 
Okay. And uh, down the road, um, I'm going to have some songs on Gene Simmons' box set that we oh, wrote back yeah. in the day. Oh, yeah. Can you give me any scoop on that, like timeline, song titles, anything? Not yet, All other right. than what I said. <laughs> you know, that's fair enough. At least it sounds like it's going to finally happen. Uh, I know a lot, yeah, of, right? a lot of people have been waiting for it. So, um, well, uh, On the Kiss Cruise end, real quick, are you playing like uh, every night of the, the cruise, or how's that work? We're going to do one special performance. Okay, cool. So you, yeah. I, you clearly I, you're, you still stay in touch with the guys and all that stuff, right? Yep. Well, like you said, you're friends, and you just kind of hung in there. Exactly. Well, good for you. Again, thank you for your time. Um, make sure everybody listening goes out and picks up Skeletons in the Closet on September 15th. And, Bob, you have a good evening. Thank you so much for the interview. Great questions and great talking to you. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for your support. Take care now.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.